0: But as we're in, in the book of Acts, we'll be in Acts chapter 21 this morning. Like I said, I do pray that uh, that you'll just uh, pray for me uh, during this, that my, my voice, and I'll be okay and not get choked up too bad. Um, but we were in the book of Acts, and here we're in Acts chapter 21. And I read through this, and, and obviously this isn't a scripture that ties directly to the, the Christmas story. Um, and we'll see in here that though that what Paul goes through in here does connect with the life that Jesus had to face and some of the things that, that he went through not just whenever he was crucified but throughout all of his life. But I want to talk about how sometimes we we have to deal with with a false witness. We have to to deal with things that are untrue. We have to deal with things that that are hurtful, that are painful that are said about us or to us or around us. And and how that is a reality in the world that we live in. It's a reality that Paul faces here that Jesus faced throughout all of His life from the Sanhedrin court and others, and many of the apostles and the disciples. And, and no doubt we all know people in our own lives, if not our own selves, that have, have had to deal with having a false witness given against us or been around when false given, false witness was shared about others, right? And, and it's a situation that we don't like to, to deal with. It's a situation that we don't always know what to do to deal with it. We don't know how to respond to it. We don't know how to navigate But to ignore it would do a disservice to, to us as Christians because we see in Jesus and we see in Paul a great example of how we can navigate a world where we are surrounded by people that will give false witness sometimes against us or just sometimes about others around us. And how we should navigate that, how we can navigate that from a Christian point of view and how we can do it in a way that God would be pleasing with and that would honor and glorify him throughout all that we do. Amen. So our scripture will come from Acts chapter 21, verses 27 through 34. We set the stage a little bit. We know in the past several chapters, Paul has been on a journey, right? Paul has been on a mission. His laser focused on getting to Jerusalem. He is stopping at these other places and some of the other churches that he's established along the way. He is worshiping with them. He is giving his final lessons in some situations. He is saying goodbye to many of these. He he is rejoicing. He is mourning. He is he is going through everything and anything on his way. He is facing, he is facing all kinds of people against him still. He is still facing kind of injustices that, that people have turned against him. But he's his idea, his focus, his desire, his plan. His purpose in this point, where he is going, is Jerusalem. He is headed towards Jerusalem. And in the 21st chapter, he arrives in Jerusalem. He arrives in Jerusalem. And this is the scripture (coughs) that we get to. He talks with some of the, the leaders in the church there to begin with and tells about all the ministry that he's done. Then he goes to the temple. Right, and, and we see many times Jesus himself has, has some kind of you know confrontation with, with individuals in the temple. Paul has done it before, and we see that once again here in the scripture. And it says, Now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, in this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldier, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude tried one thing and some another. And he goes on and this scripture kind of ends. The the, the, The commander brings them into the barracks and he... Trying kind of asks him about some of the accusations that were brought against him. And, and Paul says, no, I'm a, I'm a citizen of this city, of the, this area, different things. And, and, it, and Paul asks him, he, he says, can I speak to the people? And then chapter 22 gets into what he tells. Him, and and we'll, we'll get into that, that next time. But, but I want us to, to look at this. And we very clearly see how false witness is given against Paul. And what begins to occur because of that. And it's very easy to see the parallels between, between him and Christ. Right? About how we understand that, that Jesus, when he was taken, they put him before trial. And it said that we understand that the Sanhedrin court, that, that some of the Pharisees and Pharisees, some of the ones that were against Jesus, they, they paid, they hired people to come in and, and bear false witness against Christ. Right? And, and we don't see much of that they've been paid, but we see people coming and giving false witness before all these others about Paul. But, but false witness, it means a lot of different things. Well, let's let's talk about where it comes from. The root of what it is, it comes from an impure intention. Right? Uh, an impure intention. Now, I don't know. Maybe everybody in this place has had something said false about them. I think that's probably a good chance. And that has happened in life. Maybe it's from family. Maybe it's from people in church. Maybe it's from people at work. Or, or just whatever it may be. Just some stranger or neighbor that has accused you of brought false witness against you. And I think we would all be be honest when we're honest we're talking about those things. Those places, those things that are said, don't come from a place of goodwill. They don't come from a place of charity. They don't come from a place of wanting to do something good for somebody. They come from ill intent and impure intentions, right? They come from a place of not wanting good for somebody, but wanting something usually good for yourself and then bad for the other person. We see that here with Paul. Right, we see, and we know from the conversations that, and just how the trajectory of the early church had went, that there were many in Jerusalem, there were many of the Jewish people in that area that had something against these that were proselytizing this new gospel, right, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that were that were giving this direction on the way, as they called it, as they followed in the footsteps of Jesus, and they did not like that. We've talked about it before because why? It takes away from their position of power. If you don't need a priest or something like that, when you go to the temple to offer up sacrifices for you, then that position has little importance in society anymore, and that's what they desired. They wanted that importance, that significance. So Paul coming and saying, you can talk to God directly. You can have a relationship with Him, whether you be Jew or whether you be Gentile, was something that brought great reproach to some people because they didn't want to hear that specific gospel. Because it would change significantly the lifestyle that they had become accustomed to. So they begin to lift up false witnesses against Paul. And we see it with all of them, right? All the disciples, all the early apostles, early church leaders, beginning with, beginning with Steve and Christ and Stephen and all the way throughout. These impure intentions. But there's another part in that scripture that, that really really stands out to me. One place it, it says that the Jews from Asia, they did what? They, they had the whole crowd stirred up. The whole crowd stirred up. And how normally false witness comes and begins with a place of, of impure intentions, it can often take a mind of its own when the crowd latches on to it. Right? We've all grown up and if you went to school any any time, you know how quickly it is for a rumor or some little bit of gossip to, to get a mind of its own and turn into something great or something big or something more than we ever thought it would be and the crowd just wraps up around it and then what was just a thing that was a conversation between a few people becomes something greater to where a larger portion has... Has latched onto and believes this thing. And we can see that right here in this scripture. Some of the a few in the temple begin to cry out about Paul, begin to cry out to say, He'd done this and he'd done that. He's against the people of Jerusalem. He's against the law. He's against God Himself. We need to tear him down. And then everybody else just gets enraptured with that, right? And we see how this impure intention becomes more than what anybody ever thought it would be, and it becomes this great thing that begins to almost. We understand what Scripture gets Paul very close to, in that moment, being killed. Beat to death outside of the temple walls just because of a false witness that was given. Something that started maybe with a few, but then became a a multitude because the crowd just, just went with it. We understand, we see that even whenever Jesus was crucified. The Bible tells us that they took him out. And, and I think it was Pontius Pilate uh, brought him out and, and said, you know, who would you want? And they, some began to cry out for Barabbas. Barabbas, another began to cry out for Barabbas. And the whole crowd eventually turned against Jesus just because a few begin to start something and cry out for Barabbas. The Sanhedrin court had put things in place to where the whole crowd would begin to be moved by this emotion and turn against Jesus. And we see something here similar. And the enemy wants to do that in our own lives, to get something small started. To get maybe where Christians say something even. Where it doesn't... Ill intent Mary isn't the biggest thing, but we start saying things that are sinful, that God doesn't have us to say, that is untruthful. We bear false witness. And what was started out out of a little bit of anger for one thing becomes something greater than we intended it to be. It goes farther than we thought it would be. And it becomes hurtful and damaging to our testimony and to the lives of, of others, right? And as believers, it is crucial... For us to examine our motives when we seek to speak about a situation or about a person, whether it be in the church or outside the church. Are we propelled by a genuine desire for truth and righteousness? Or is there some other personal deviant motivation that is driving us to say or to do what we are wanting to say or do? And we have to navigate that. Because a lot of times I can be filled with an emotion and think I am righteous in the moment. Think that me saying this or going out and doing this or pointing this out or doing whatever it may be in that moment may be righteous when ultimately it is just my own personal desires, my personal motives, my personal bias that is driving me to say certain things. An impure intention that I might not even recognize in the moment But we as Christians must recognize when we stray from the path of what God wants us to, to do what we want to do. Or to say what we want to do. James says in multiple places, talks about the danger of the tongue, right? About how it's an unruly thing. It's a serpent full of poison, full of venom that can kill, that can destroy, that can tarnish, that can damage things. And we have to be careful when we are giving testimony, when we are speaking about somebody, speaking about some situation that maybe we don't know everything about, that we know that we are speaking with a desire for truth and not some impure motive that we may not be cognizant of or be thinking of in that moment or that we're not being pulled up with the crowd. It's uh, We live in a world today where you all know, know I love sports. And a big thing... this year in sports is uh, the honesty and the credibility of sports reporters talking about different things from team to team or player to player. Because the idea this year is being so many people are wanting to be the first one to say something that they don't even make sure what they're saying is true. They just want to be the first one to say something. And my fear is in the world that we live in, which is so fast paced, right? We want to be the first one to post something on Facebook or tweet about something or put something out there or call somebody. We want to be the first one to deliver that information that we oftentimes don't know if there's truth behind it before we spread it a little bit farther. We may see a post on Facebook and be like, oh, this is insane. I really need to share this to all my friends about what this person in Nashville, a person in Washington, D.C., or this person back home, or this person we grew up with did that we don't really know if it's true before we share that ends up being false witness. And either we might go back and we might try to delete the post or whatever it might be or, or laugh it off, but we have already shared that false witness. We've already called 1415 people telling what we've heard and never asking to see if it's actually true. And we as Christians, we don't need to dabble with a false witness. We must resist the temptation to engage in false witness personally or support it in any way. We all know this, and we'll teach our children this. That supporting a lie is just as bad as being the first one to tell it, right? That allowing a lie to continue is just as bad as being the one to start it. To have the truth and know the truth and not reveal the truth in a situation is just as damaging and harmful to people as saying the lie or the false witness in the first place. Now, no doubt there might have been people some of the Jewish leaders that had a better understanding of what Paul was doing, of seeing what he had done and hearing, seeing some of the letters that were written back to, to Jerusalem, maybe getting some of these things, and hearing these testimonies, knew that Paul wasn't against the Jewish people, that Paul wasn't against the law, that Paul wasn't against these things, yet they allowed the chaos and the false witness to continue to spread because it suited and served their ultimate purpose, to see Paul destroyed. And we have to understand that we don't need to dabble or allow false witness to persist in our lives. And it might be something that we have started, that we learned later was untrue. We need to go back and make sure we make that right. It may be something that just comes across the screen or it comes across in our life or somebody tells us, and yet yeah, it might be enjoyable or fun or engaging or exciting to have conversation and just go down that road. But if we know it to be untrue, We do not need to allow it to persist. We need to stop it where it's at. Because let's understand the golden rule and all these things that we teach our children from early age, do unto others you'd have them do unto you. How many times have we allowed something of ill intent been I may not not, not, have said it, but allowed it to be said in our company and said nothing to stop it even though we knew it was untrue. We allowed it to continue even though we knew it was false. And damaging to somebody else's life or testimony or family, because we didn't want the uncomfortability of, of stopping it or saying something. We didn't want to be that guy. We didn't want to be that girl. It was just too fun to talk about it anyway. And maybe it, it was. Maybe there was a little truth to it. You know, we don't know everything. And your enemy will, our enemy will give you every reason to to not say something. But when we are faced with a false witness, when we are faced with things that are untrue that are damaging, that are harmful, we as Christians must stand on the truth. We must stand on what is true, on what is righteous, on what is holy, on what is good. And when we have these false witnesses presented before us, around us, or even we have been the one that initiated, we must do what we can to make sure truth is elevated above these damaging lies, above these damaging things. We might think, well, there's no harm in this false witness. There's no harm in what is being said or what is being spoken. There's no harm in what's being shared. But we know the reality. We know if we've lived long in this life for for too long, we realize how damaging these lies and things that are said about people can be. How it hurts our youth. How it hurts marriages. How it hurts relationships between families. How it can be destructive to a church, to a body of believers when we allow these little things, these these false witnesses, these untruths to continue to persist in our lives, in our churches, in our communities and never stand up to say this is what the Bible says, this is what the truth is, this is what we know, this is the reality and say we need to stop sharing those things. We talked about weeks ago about bad doctrine and about how we should not allow bad doctrine to persist, to be taught that when we see bad doctrine, we need to call out bad doctrine. And the same is true when we see something that is false, when we see something that is untrue, said about a neighbor, said about a friend, said about an enemy, somebody that we don't like. We must call it out and say, hey, you be honest. I don't like that person or like that situation or like what's going on any better than you do. But that's not true. And that's not right. And I can't allow that to go on around me because the truth is what is what lives within me. The Bible says He is the truth. That He is the one that it comes from. And we need to understand that. What does the Bible say? That, that Satan is the father of lies and the truth is not in him. Anything that comes from a place of falsehood is not of God and should not be something that that touches a Christian's lips or stays and resides in their heart. It's not something we can dabble with. We must honor and prioritize and uplift the truth. So how do we, we respond? When we face false accusations... Now, first, let's talk about when the false accusations are about us. Because I've been there. I mean, in ministry, I've, I've had things of ill intent. said about things that were not true. Things that were totally a figment of somebody's imagination. Something that was just created off on a whim. And, and those things are hurtful. And those things are, are frustrating. Frustrating. And they inspire anger and malice sometimes, bitterness in situations. To know that somebody from a place of impure intention decided they wanted to say something hurtful in that way about us. And and it's very easy for for us in our knee-jerk reaction to make a big deal out of it to to scream and fuss and, and, and get on our soapbox and, and say, this ain't this isn't gonna fly, this isn't me. You you need to take it back. But we can look at Christ and we can look at Paul and look at so many others. And how they dealt with false witnesses being against them. And as I said before, they always went back to this. They They simply restated the truth. They simply went back to, well, that's what you say, but this is the truth of the matter. And this is the reality of the situation. They held to the truth. Jesus goes up and they say, are you the king of the Jews? And what does Jesus say? He says, you say so. They say so. We go through different things and we have Paul here and they say that he's done this and he's done that. He's against the Jewish people. He does this. He's even accused in one place of being a God that ran with with hundreds of assassins and killed people and everything. And and Paul said, this isn't me. He said, let me stand before the people and I'll tell you who I am. That's what chapter 22 gets into. He gives his testimony of, of who he is. He says, let me just tell you the truth of who I am. The truth... What we've always heard. The truth will stand when the world's on fire. The thing is, we might not be able to keep people from saying certain things about us. What we've told our children and what I hope we understand, we can control what we say in return. And how we handle our reaction to that. Getting upset, getting mad, talking about other people in return does not glorify God. Being humble and being meek. Allowing God to speak for us gives all honor and glory to God. Standing on the truth, which is God Himself, gives honor and glory to God. We must go and lean into the truth, but have a firm faith that we have God on our side. And in those moments, man, and I've been there, it it, it does hurt. On a very personal level, when people you care about or you thought cared about you or or maybe just in the wrong season, the wrong time, they said something, and it just hurts and it cuts deep and it's it's painful and it's grieving and, and we, we want to just do something about it. But I want us to recognize and understand that in every situation, we've talked about it many a times, about in our health and our finances and our marriage and whatever we may come against us, whatever may face an opposition, whatever the world may throw, whatever the enemy may throw about us, that we can rest in the fact that God is in control. We can too in these times when ill is said about us as a people, as a person, as a family, as a church, as an individual, whatever it may be. When things are said about us, we can know the truth. But we can also allow God to fight our battles and say, Lord, you know what I want to do. You know what I want to say. You know how I want to react. But I'm going to let you respond. I'm going to let you respond. Respond. Thankfully, I have never had to stand on trial. Hopefully, I never will. Never know. But there's a reason that people that are on trial have a lawyer. Because so many times I know if I was on trial and I had somebody up there spreading false things and saying untrue things about me, I would want to react. And make a big show out of it. And all that would do is would just make turn the court against me. Turn the world against me. But that lawyer will be able to handle the situation in a way that I can. So too is it in the world that we live in where if I react and I do what I want to do. And I, want, I say what I want to say. Oftentimes I'm just playing into the enemy's hands. I'm just doing exactly what he expects me to do. What he wants me to do. To create more damage. To create more chaos. To create more harm, pain and suffering. But if I allow God to speak for me. It brings healing, and it brings a conclusion to the things. It brings a resolution, it brings clarity, and it brings truth to a situation that is muddled by the lies that the enemy and the world wants to propagate about me or about my situation. We have to rest on the fact that whatever anybody says, whatever anybody does, whatever anybody has against us, we can allow God to take care of that. Because it's not too small for Him. It's not too minimum for Him to step in and work in your situation when somebody has spoken ill of you. He understands what that feels like. To be good and to be perfect and to do everything according to how it was supposed to be done and to still have people speak ill of Him. That is what Christ experienced. For Paul to love and to serve and to go out of his way to take care of the, the widows, the orphans, the ones that needed him, the ones that were destitute and depraved, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the way that the temple and the Sanhedrin court were supposed to be and to still have them backbite on him and talk about him and gossip about him and spread this false witness about him is hard to not go and say something or to not just walk away from it. Yet he came, continue to do Went through the pain, the suffering, the, the torture, the punishment that he went through, and still rested on the truth and rested that God was in control. A false witness is what Paul faced and is what Christ faced. What we all have no doubt probably faced in life, maybe previously, but for sure to come if the world keeps on spinning. And it's something that if we allow our flesh to dictate how we deal with those situations, we only will make it worse. And we'll only do more damage to our testimony, and we'll drag the name of Christ through the mud, and we'll drag the name of maybe your family or your church, or you know, you want to take it into a more career level, your, your business, whatever it may be, if we allow our flesh to dictate how we deal with a false witness. But if we allow God to do it, and if we allow God to to lead and to guide us and to influence the situation in a way that only He can, then God will bring exactly the, the ends that He wanted. Let's connect it back to the Christmas story now. Mary conceived before her and Joseph were wed. And why it doesn't give much insight into what was going on in that little town at that point. We know that ill was said of Mary. That a false witness was brought against her and Joseph. Said this or that. They did this. She did this. This is what she is. This is what Joseph needs to do where Joseph's already messed up. Said about it. All around town. Whispered voices as they walked into the room that would get quiet. or, Or things that they would hear, glances as they walked through the street. Yet I love how the angel came to both of them at different times to strengthen Mary to let her know that this wasn't a punishment but this was a gift from God but how it came to Joseph and Joseph within his flesh had made a decision of how he wanted to deal and handle these false accusations these this false witness that was being brought up against him and, and Mary and he came to a place where he said I'm just going to put her away quietly She can move off to another town, some other place with some other family maybe and and I can move on. He's doing what he thought was best. How he would deal with it. The Bible says the angel appeared unto him and I'm just just paraphrasing here. He says, don't put her away. Those false witnesses that you keep hearing that's exactly what they are. It's It's a false witness. He says, let me tell you the truth, Joseph. That thing that resides within Within Mary, it is the Son of God. Take her, with her. Have her as your wife. God's doing something. Let Him take care of those those false witnesses. You know the truth. And as hard as that is for us to do at times, that is what we are called to do. Know the truth commit the truth to our heart share the truth but allow God to take care of the false witness let him put it down let him snuff it out because every time you bring it up you're just breathing fresh air onto it and everybody knows fire needs oxygen to live so every time you try to take care of it yourself all you're doing is giving it more life (coughs) just say God you take care of this I know the truth you know the truth and your opinion is the only one that matters anyway You take care of what else resides. Okay? So we did. Even though you read Acts 21, you're like, that's not the Christmas story. Mary and Joseph understand what it's like to have a false witness brought against them. But the angel very clearly gives the indication, know the truth, but let God take care of the rest. That should be our response to false witness when it's born against us. To know the truth but allow God to take care of it. When it's around others, share the truth. Make sure the truth is, is spread, is spoken in the presence of a lie. And when truth is spoken in the presence of a lie, more often than not, the lie will will fade away. But we must know the truth. Rest in the truth. And rest in the knowledge that God is in control of everything. I love what Scripture tells us. We'll close with this. Love what Scripture tells us. He says, "He worketh all things for His for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes." And what we'll see, without trying to get too much in Acts chapter twenty-two even though this false witness was born against Paul it provided him an opportunity to stand before the entirety of the temple and the entirety of this area all that had come around to bear this false witness to stand before them and speak the truth of what God had done in their life worketh all things for the good who love God and he called it according to His purpose rest in the knowledge that God is in control don't do what you want to do do what He would have you do man. So today if